Hello and welcome to Performance Tool Podcast, a bi-monthly podcast designed for workplace learning professionals, talent development, and senior leaders to give critical insights and tools into the world of work, learning, leadership, and performance. Here is your host, doing at Devio, your learning and performance accelerator. We're live right now. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, the performance tools. My name is Adi Doing Adibayo. Uh, I'm a management consultant with Incel Consulting, uh, a boutique consulting firm here in, in, in Lagos, Nigeria. So before we start, um, I always want to say this um, so that I, 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 I want to make uh, the, the, the goal of this platform very clear. And um, I know in the past I've said this, that the overarching goal of this uh, performance tools uh, is to bring in critical mass of uh, people into their leadership awareness. And we'll do that, or I'll, I'll be able to achieve that uh, in three ways, um, through HR management, through leadership management, and also uh, through personal or career conversation. And I've set the goal that within the next 10 years, I want to reach out to a minimum of 300 million people um, across several tools that I've developed. So this is just one of those tools. So today, I have a big, <laughs> I have a big guest in the house. I, I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to this, um, to this conversation today. So I have, uh, Dave Horridge in the house. Uh, Dave Horridge is the co-founder and partner at uh, the RBL Group, and is also a professor uh, of business administration at Ross School of Business, uh, University of Michigan. I know that Prof will, uh, you know, it's it's in a better position to to introduce himself, <laughs> you know, before we start this conversation. So uh, for us to take a deep dive into this conversation today, uh, so Prof, uh, Prof Dave Orich, please, uh, over to you. Kindly introduce yourself to our audience. Then we can start the conversation from, from there. Well, Adi Doyen, thank you for the privilege of letting me join you. And to those, I look forward to the conversation. As Adorian said, professionally, I'm a professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. I'm a partner in the RBL Group. Uh, but more important, uh, welcome to my office. Uh, you get to see where I live and where I work. Uh, this is my office. And you get to see on uh, this shoulder my family. I am the father of three children and 10 grandchildren. So well, those are probably the most important things. Thank you so much for letting me join you. Thank you so, so much. I know today we are going to have a um, multitude of conversation, and I know that uh, within the next, within the time allotted, we'll be able to cover that. So, Prof, let's, let's, um, let's start the conversation this way. Um, I want us to look at the trends um, and the, the things that are evolving uh, within the business world, within the HR world. Uh, then we'll talk about HR strategy, um, talk about employee engagement a little bit, and maybe performance management, uh, some areas that have also played in the last uh, few years. So if we, if we are to start this conversation, I, I want, to, want us to start um, around the, uh, the, 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 the trends in HR, uh, because over the last 100 years, uh, the HR profession has evolved dramatically. Um, and you know that usually it's always in response to um, external conditions. Uh, we know um, the World War, during the World War, uh, the, the, recent, the recent one was the uh, global recession. You know, now when the middle of the, um, you know, let, let, well, not really the middle of the pandemic, um, Last year was pandemic, but we, we, we've always had several issues around us. Uh, the, the issue around global recession, uh, political posturing, as, as you put it, um, somewhere, so, somewhere 
uh, social injustice and all of that. And the height of it is, uh, you know, the coronavirus that I've just uh, mentioned right now. What, what are the new business realities uh, that HR and HR professionals will, will contend with uh, going forward uh, as, we are, as we are experiencing right now? I love the question. We often see people want to jump in. HR should be mastering hybrid work or we should be mastering employee engagement. I like to start with the context. Uh, the line is, um, the context is the kingdom in which the king or the queen works. I think that context for many of us is a series of crises. And you mentioned some of them. Clearly the global pandemic. Everyone in the world has been affected by the global pandemic in, a, in, an, in an incredible way. But it's not the only crisis of the last 18 months. We've had enormous social unrest in Asia uh, with the Chinese the yellow umbrella kind of example. We've had a lot of uh, uh, racial injustice with refugees and social unrest in the United States with Black Lives Matter in Europe. We've had a lot of political turmoil and uncertainty with political bickering and toxicity and disunity. We've had a global recession for some industries. We've had emotional challenges responding. And clearly, we've had digital 4.0. All of those set the context. And what I love to think about is in that context, what is it we can do to not be threatened by that context, but to discover opportunity? So those are the five or six things that I see as the context. It's a, it's a world of enormous crisis. And how do we then discover opportunity through HR and responding to that crisis. Hmm. Well, that's 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 uh, that's awesome. I, I like the angle where you uh, you've approached it. That I mean, the, the, those are context, and HR needs to be able to look at uh, the opportunities. But if I'm going to ask um, based on that, uh, I'll just like to ask that. So HR has been put in the middle of this. Uh, you know, contextual situations that we have seen uh, over the past few years. But I always want to use uh, COVID-19 because it's the recent one and what we are still battling with right now. So now, what is the most important thing uh, that you would say HR should do uh, right now, uh, you know, to the employee and also to the organization Good. Let me suggest three responses. Number one, because of these crises, and it includes obviously COVID, the physical crisis, the political crisis, the social, the emotional, the technology. I think this is the, the set of crises that are called people and organization. In 2008 and nine, the world faced in many parts of the world, a financial and economic crisis. Now the response to these crises is people and organization. So that's number one. Number two, what does that mean? HR is not about HR. It's about creating value for stakeholders. What does that mean? It means that HR is not about what's the latest trend in performance management or employee engagement, but how do those trends help us succeed in our marketplace? People have said, Dave, you said uh, people are our most important asset. And my comment is everybody I know has said that. Everyone on this LinkedIn call has said people are our most important asset. I disagree. People are our customers' most important asset. The way we treat our people, the employee engagement, should be linked to the way our customers feel treated. So HR is not about the HR activity. It's about how that activity helps us succeed in the marketplace. Another example of that, again, the first point is, the world is changing. We get that. We have to respond. The second is HR. We have to discover opportunity. The second is HR is not about HR. It's about success in the marketplace. And mm -hmm. I'll give an example. I like to start workshops with a question. What's the most important thing that we in HR can give an employee? Great mm -hmm. question. Is it a sense of belief, purpose, meaning, a mm -hmm. sense of becoming better, learning, growth, a sense of belonging, a sense of community, or all the above. And everybody, I did a session yesterday, 90% pick all the above, and it's wrong. The most important thing we can give an employee in this set of crises is an organization that succeeds in the marketplace. Let me say that again. 
if my organization doesn't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. And so everything I do inside the organization should be designed to help us succeed in the marketplace outside the organization. So number one, discover opportunity in crisis. Number two, HR is not about HR. Number three, and then I'll stop because this is a long answer. What is it we uniquely contribute? Finance contributes economic value. Marketing contributes market customer trends. Systems contributes technology. I believe we contribute three things. Great, and you're gonna see me do this till you're sick of it. My fingers represent people, great talent. Here's my fingers. My fist represents the organization, people coming together, and the combination represents leadership. So I believe in HR, whenever we engage in a business dialogue and we're at the table, there are some in our field who say, HR should be at the table. And I'm going, we've been at the table for 20 years. That's not mm. a new idea. What do mm. we contribute? Talent, organization, and leadership. So mm. three points, discover opportunity in crisis. Mm. HR is not about HR. It's HR. about success in the marketplace. And mm. number three, through talent, organization, and leadership. I know that's stupid, but that's memorable, I hope. So <laughs> yeah. those are, those are the, the trend areas that I, that I believe HR matters. And, and then we can say, so what does HR do to make that happen? That's a whole nother area we'll talk about. But those exactly. are those are macro trends. Exactly. I mean, that has thrown up. I mean, your response has thrown up a lot, a lot of questions. Maybe let me ask um, this question based on that. Um, I know I read one of your articles long ago, I think in uh, HR Magazine or HR Focus or something, uh, where you said that if an HR doesn't have a seat at the table, um, that you almost argue that they should get out of our field. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I say that as a joke. I mean, um, I hope that HR has a seat at the table. There were, there were so many hundreds and thousands of great HR professionals and dozens and dozens of thought leaders in the 90s and 2000s who said HR makes a difference. And the mm. research was amazing by people like John Boudreau and Mark Cusid and Peter Capelli and Ed Lawler and Jeff Pfeffer mm. and Linda Gratton that showed the relevance of HR. I see mm. some people in our field saying HR should be at the table with business leaders. And I'm going, no, we're there. We're mm. there. The question is, what do we do now that we're there? What mm. is it we uniquely contribute? And for me, the point is we help discover opportunity in the in the marketplace we focus outside in that was the second point we focus on how hr helps us succeed with customers with communities with investors and number three through you're going to be so tired of this <laughs> talent organization and leadership um i i find that logic compelling because it moves us away from saying hr should play a more strategic role yeah that's true what do we do to make that happen and how do we move forward in delivering value to the organization? Hmm. Hmm. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. My, my, I mean, my question is more like a rider to that um, because I'm trying to let us um, talk about the reality, some of the things that people face. Um, and like I said, as a management consultant, some of the um, things that we see on the field. We, we, we all agree, and like you have said, that HR is already at the table. But we've also seen situations where business executives, um, HR, you know, HR gets to sit at the table. But when it comes to uh, decision making, um, HR is sidelined. Or most of the time when HR makes um, a proposal, it, it doesn't get accepted by the business executive. How do you think CHROs, head of HR generally, um, should navigate this experience and this situation? Let me, uh, by the way, it's a great question. And uh, the first part of the response is there are some business leaders who simply don't accept people as a critical Ex advantage. Exactly. And, and, and what I kind of find in almost any situation is 20, 60, 20. 20% of business leaders accept people. 
They get it. They value it. They're, they're allies. They're champions. They're advocates. There'll be 10 to 20% who don't. Hmm. And they won't. I remember hmm. once um, reading an article. It was around Christmas time. And question one was in the article reporting, are you a believing Christian? And again, it doesn't matter what faith you are to get the point. And people hmm. said, yes. Question two, do you believe that Jesus Christ lived on the earth? And 20% said no. And I'm going, I don't understand. You're a Christian, but you don't believe Jesus lived on the earth. You know, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. And there's almost always going to be a percent of people who are going to be naysayers. And, and you know what? In any change, in any movement, you're going to have some people who are just there. I think sometimes in HR, we try to, using the religious metaphor, convert that bottom 20%. My experience now is leave them alone. Leave them alone. They're not going to get there. I don't know why they're there. It could be their history, their heritage. I love to focus on the middle 60%. How do we help them appreciate HR's contribution. Now, the second piece, and let me get very concrete with your great question. When HR goes to a business meeting, I think there's a tendency to talk about our knowledge. Here's how to do performance appraisal. We should not use forms or we should. Here's how we should do employee engagement. I believe that's not where you start. If I'm an HR person meeting with a business leader or, and his or her team, I start with a question, what are the outcomes you care about? What are the goals on your scorecard? What are the things that matter to you with your business strategy, with your customers, with your investors, with your community reputation? Hmm. Then our job, Dick Beatty, a mentor of mine taught me and still teaches me, the HR scorecard is the business scorecard. My job in HR is to help you make your outcome happen. I'll give two examples. We're doing work with the healthcare system. The outcome they care about is patient satisfaction. Did the patient have a good experience in the healthcare system? So when you meet with a, a senior executive and her team, you say, would you like us in HR to help you improve patient satisfaction? Uh, yeah. Of course, if you can help me improve patient satisfaction, I'm delighted. How can I do that? Now, listen to me again. I'm going to do this till you're sick of it. We'll help you get better people, organization, and leadership. We will help you get your goals. Second example, uh, a number of months ago, somebody met with me for lunch and they said, look at our new digital app. We have a hmm. phone that will measure employee engagement. We can take a picture we can track, we can visual. We have a great way to measure engagement. It's the best way ever to measure employee engagement. And they went on for about 20 minutes about the incredible methodology for tracking and measuring engagement. Hmm. And when they were done, they said, would you like to partner with us? Hmm. And I looked at them and I said, why? And they said, because the tool is so good. Hmm. And I said, why should I care? Because hmm. we measure engagement well. It's a hmm. mobile tool. We can get a device. Look at the graphics. And I said, yeah. why do I care? And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, when I sit with a business leader, they are not as excited about the latest engagement tool as they are customer experience, hmm. financial performance, investor confidence, strategic realignment. Don't start your discussion with the HR activity. Start hmm. your discussion with the value that that activity creates. So when I meet with a business leader, I go, how important is it for you to get employee engagement higher? And the leader mm. says, I think quite high. And then I say, do you realize that employee engagement is correlated with customer engagement? That there's a 0.6 to 0.8 correlation. That if you get more engaged employees or a better employee experience, as it's often called today, you will have a higher customer experience. And as a result of that, your profits will go up. In fact, the research says, and it's the value of research, a 10-point increase in employee engagement will lead to a five-point increase in customer engagement or satisfaction, and that will lead to a 2.5% increase in financial performance. 
Would you be interested in an increase in financial performance, customer satisfaction? Yeah. Then you need to look at getting a better track on engagement. Engagement is a means to that end. I, I plead with our HR colleagues, don't talk about HR. HR is not about HR. It's about helping us be successful in the marketplace with customers, investors, communities, so that we, we use HR as an enabler of what it is we're trying to do. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, this, is, this is This is great. So it's not about the HR, uh, but about what HR is helping the organization to achieve at the end of the day. Hmm, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I should, so, publish, I should publish what you just said. You said it beautifully. Much shorter than me. That was beautifully said. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I want us to look at uh, the HRBP model, um, the, the all-rich model. Uh, that you you know you brought forward in 1996. I know that a lot of organizations have actually uh, used that model. Uh, at the same time, we also have critics <laughs> of that model. I mean, I, I remember um, I, I went to an organization in the past, and they said that see, it's not going to work for us. Um, that it's a good model, but when it comes to application, it's not going to work for us. So. What are the new assumptions? Um, I know then that, of course, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a four, um, you know, four, four areas. But what are the new assumptions um, as far as the HRBP model is concerned now, Prof? You know, in, in 1990s, we were worried, how do we, what role do we play when we're at the table? Hmm. And I did the book, um, by the way, I did the book with so many great colleagues. I don't want to take credit for the book. I want to share credit. Hmm. And we said there were four roles you play. You're a strategic positioner, a change agent. <laughs> I can't even remember them. Uh, an administrative expert, and I can't remember the fourth one. Employee champion. Employee champion, yes. These are the roles you play in mm -hmm. order to create value. And then we talked about how do you build an organization structure to do that? Um, you know, in 1997, think back to your telephone in 1990, 1996, 1997. You probably had a flip phone or a simple phone. Uh, think back to your computer. You were playing Pac-Man, um, the Pac-Man game. Uh, technology has evolved. Management has evolved. Television has evolved. This internet has evolved. In 1997, who could have imagined that I'm sitting in my office in the United States and you're watching in wherever you are in Africa or India or Malaysia or Singapore? I think HR has evolved. And, and the critique of the model is fair. It's like saying, wow, I just found the phone I used in 1997. It's not a smartphone like my phone today. Of course not. We've changed. So how have we changed? In, in the 1990s, we were interested about HR roles. Once we're at the table, what role do I play? And how do I build an HR department that helps me be successful? Today, what we've learned is that success and effective HR is not just about your department. Hmm. In fact, as we've evolved, we've written, I think, 10 books since 1997. And sure. some people love to go read. The, by the way, sometimes it's good to read the original book. I'll show you. I uh, read my Bible almost every day. It's good to read the original book. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but sometimes I shouldn't have shown that. But just so you get inside my life. Yes. Um, sometimes you need to evolve. You need mm. to evolve. And what we've mm. done is we've said, we have now identified nine dimensions of effective HR. Mm. I'm not gonna remember them all, but do you have a clear purpose? Mm. Do you have a clear uh, strategy? Do you, have a, do you have a set of customers you're trying to serve? Mm. Do you have the right organization? Do mm. you build capabilities? Do you have the right analytics? Do you have the right systems? Mm. Do you have the right people? The mm. HR structure, is one of those nine dimensions. It's true. Mm. How do we organize our resources within the department so that value is created through, again, you're going to get tired of it, talent, organization, and people to succeed in the marketplace? Mm. That discussion goes on, and there's always new ways to organize the HR department. But mm. how do we inside the HR department take our specialists with deep expertise 
hmm. in staffing and training and compensation and org design in in uh, in change and link them with generalists who sit inside a business unit and it could be a business unit a function a geography hmm. so that they come together at that business table to deliver talent leadership and organization that's number four in our nine criteria hmm. but let me tell you what we're finding in our research hmm. the structure or the role is not as important for business results as the relationships the ninth dimension of our nine dimensions and you can find this on linkedin you're on linkedin go find the article hr effectiveness the ninth dimension is how do we in HR build relationships, both within the function, how do our specialists and generalists work together, and outside the function, how do we work with business leaders? How do we work with, with employees, with customers? Hmm. Let me give an example of that. Hmm. I've been, uh, oh, this is fun. I have sitting on my desk a set of pictures. Um, ah, I have been married to this good woman for 45 years. Ooh. Wow. That's nice. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I don't know about you, uh, Doyen, but I married up. I married a great woman. Uh, same, same here for me as well. <laughs> How many years? How many years have you been married? About 12 years now. Congratulations. Congratulations. And I have, and I have three wonderful kids. <laughs> Mega congratulations. Oh, if you've been married 12 years, they're just about to become teenagers. For a couple of years, they may not like you as much, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so in, in defining the role, administrative expert, change agent, we often do what's called uh, RASI. Who's responsible? Who's accountable? Who's consulted? Who's informed? Or some version of that. I know consultants have done that. I've done that. You know, in 45 years of marriage, Wendy and I have never done a RASI. Hmm. It's Sunday night. Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to do laundry? Who's going to shop? Who's going to prepare meals? Um, who's going who's gonna to take kids where? I know with three children, you must have that decision. Exactly. We have never sat down with a chart and said, oh, who's going to take the child? Who's responsible for this? Who's accountable? Who's consulted? We've got a relationship hmm. and it works. Hmm. This week, my wife has been very busy with some work she's doing. So I'm going to be very honest. So this week, I fix meals. I fixed dinner this week because she was busy. Next week, I'm a little busier. So she's going to fix dinner. I did laundry because she was busy. You know what? We have a relationship that works. And so in our model in the 1990s, we were very worried about roles. Hmm. Now we're worried about activities that create value. Hmm. And the relationships that create those activities are in some ways more important than the role that we play. And those roles may vary. So hmm. when I work with an HR department, we have nine dimensions. Hmm. How do we use these nine dimensions, especially the role dimension, in order for us to help the business be successful, especially the relationship dimension, I said that wrong, mm -hmm. to help us be successful. Um, I actually find that quite helpful. Uh, yeah. You know, with, with our children and our children are grown with grandchildren, I say, oh, my role as a father is to tell you what to do. No, my, yeah. my job as a father is to build a relationship with you mm -hmm. so that you mm -hmm. know that I care, mm -hmm. so that you know that I'm, I want you to be successful. And, and when we can build those relationships, we then are much more successful. So that's the evolution of the idea. The hmm. roles still matter. Hmm. No question. You have specialists and generalists that have to work together. But hmm. the relationships matter even more. Matter, yeah, good, good, bro. So, so but in, in most of the situation, what we see uh, in some organization is either the department is decentralized or compartmentalized. How do we align this with the relationship that you are talking about now? The first question, and so now you're digging in. We had nine dimensions. You're looking at the fourth one. How do we organize HR? Exactly. The first answer is very simple. You organize HR the way the business is organized. Mm. If I'm in a business that's centralized, and it could mm. be a small business or a big business. Uh, for example, in Nigeria, I'm a government ministry. I'm the department, the military. 
the mm -hmm. military is generally pretty centralized with a span of control, with hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You organize HR in a hierarchical way because mm -hmm. HR should match the business. Mm -hmm. In the private sector, big company, McDonald's. Mm -hmm. To be honest, McDonald's is basically, if I were in Nigeria going mm -hmm. to a McDonald's, it would look and feel like a McDonald's in Argentina or a McDonald's in Hong Kong or a McDonald's down the street. You know mm. what? McDonald's has a pretty hierarchical and structured HR department. Mm. We adapt ideas to Nigeria. We adapt ideas to Singapore, Argentina. Mm. But you organize the business, the HR, the way the business is organized. Mm. In India, a company called Tata is mm. a holding company. Tata mm. Consulting Services is part. They have steel. They have automobiles. They have a whole mm. portfolio of products. Guess what? You decentralize HR because mm. it's a holding company. You mm. match HR to the structure of the business. So when people say every business should have centers of expertise, wrong. Mm. Some businesses that are hierarchically driven should not have adapted centers of expertise. They should have staff specialists who define mm. what happens across the business. Across um, the now, here's the dilemma. Mm. We have found that about 20% of businesses tend to be centralized often mm. smaller businesses, businesses in government like the military or education, and you should mm. centralize HR. 10% of businesses tend to be completely holding companies like Tata or mm. um, Berkshire Hathaway in the United States or Virgin in the UK. Mm. About 70% of businesses are multi-divisional firms. They're both mm. centralized and decentralized. So they mm. centralize some operations, finance, and they decentralize to the customer, customer-facing activities. Well, guess what? In those businesses, you probably need centers of expertise that adapt their knowledge to the business idea, to the special, to the to the unique business requirements. So hmm. the takeaway is match your HR function hmm. to the business and the, the nature business. of the business. I remember reading one article. They said we don't like it. Uh, Dave, and by the way, I get my name on it, which bothers me. It's not me. It's, it's a set of people, but the Dave Alridge three-legged stool doesn't work for us. And I thought, oh, I, I want to learn. I want to find out how to improve. That is, by the way, one of, I have two major passions in, well, outside of my family. I have two professional passions. One is to learn and the other is to create value for others. So I said, what can I learn? And so I looked at their study. They studied government agencies and they studied companies under 500 people. People. Hmm. And I go, of course the center of expertise doesn't work mm -hmm. because that's not the nature of the business. Mm -hmm. Government agencies tend to be single businesses. Mm -hmm. Under mm -hmm. 500 people, you've probably only got three to five HR people in the whole organization. You don't mm -hmm. create a center of expertise. That makes no mm -hmm. sense. And so, by the way, what I learned from that is I need to do a better job communicating what I just shared with you. The mm. HR mm. structure should match the business structure. The business. Mm. Mm. Wow, that, that's great. I mean, that's a, that's that's a new learning for me too. HR um, structure should match the business structure. So, so uh, I want us to talk about or talk around um, automation and HR. Um, I remember reading an article um, in the HR magazine as well uh, that the robots are coming. <laughs> I mean, um, there was also a, a KPMG report um, that, 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 that found that virtually all HR functions uh, can be fully or partially automated. Um, we're looking at payroll services, vendor management, talent acquisition, uh, and a whole lot of that, even learning and development. So what, what would you say um, about this, most especially for, for new people coming into HR, uh, who probably wants to do the HR generalist function now uh, before they before they specialize. What, what, what advice would you give in this regard? First of all, I have to show, I just found a big bug in my office. So mm. I am gonna get, this shows you that this is a live session. There's a bug I'm gonna throw away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you have no bugs in Nigeria. In the last uh, three months, I have spent a lot of time with machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And, and, and here's some of what I've discovered. Mm 
the technology is clearly coming and technology mm. enables digitization. Mm, if true. your task in HR is routine and standard, very likely it's going to be replaced by automation. Mm. But automation cannot yet replace human thinking. And mm. so what we need to do is we need to couple the technology with the capacity of people. Let me give an example. Mm. Mm. A search. Mm. A company needs to hire somebody. Mm. So they, they either post a job or they go on LinkedIn and they say, we need an engineer with this mm. set of skills. And they lay out the skills that that engineer needs to have. Mm. They get a thousand applicants. It's a mm. great company. A thousand mm. people apply. Well, HR in the legacy would kind of flip through resumes. Now mm. we can use artificial intelligence. We can Very use machine learning. We can say of these thousand resumes, cut one, these 50 people seem to have the skills that we need. That's mm. helpful. Then mm. we can do a second cut. These mm. of these 50 people, again, were profound artificial intelligence. And there's some incredible work being done. Um, I've been able to work with Amazon. SageMaker is the name of their uh, subsidiary. They are incredible. I mean, they just have people. I just read some work on culture and how the, the work on culture through artificial intelligence is changing. Anyway, we could get into that. The second level of machine learning can go, of these 50, these 10 look like the best fit. Then here's what needs to happen. Someone needs to interview those 10. Because hmm. the artificial intelligence technology can get me to the right 10, hmm. but they can't get me to the right one. One, true. And that's where human judgment comes in. Hmm. Hmm. What I think this means is we used to do in HR, and we still do, what's called workforce planning. Yes. Workforce planning. So hmm. what yeah. number of people do we need with what skills? I think hmm. we need to shift that from workforce to work task. And so we say, given the strategy of the company, we want to become uh, customer centric. Instead of focusing on a product, we focus on a customer. Hmm. We want to do business in, in a new country. We want to move from Nigeria to Mauritius. We want to do business elsewhere. Hmm. What are the tasks that need to be done to make that happen? Hmm. We need to explore A, B, C, D. Here's the task. Then hmm. you have, by the way, think of those as columns. Here's the task that need to be done. Then the question is, how could we do those tasks? Hmm. Column one, do we hire someone full-time hmm. or row one? Hmm. Row two, do we hire someone part-time? There's a yeah. huge movement about part-time workers, advisors, consultants, whatever form. I would hmm. add now row three, could that task be done through technology? Hmm. Often many of those columns or tasks could be done better through technology. Mm. We need to we need to find an office building in Mauritius. Mm. You know what? Technology would help us to find an office building. Of all mm. the open commercial spaces in Mauritius, here's our criteria: location, mm. size, cost. Mm. Put them into an equation, run an algorithm, and mm. literally within a matter of minutes, we would mm. know every office location in Mauritius that meets our criteria. Criteria. Hmm. We don't need to send someone to Mauritius to check out 50 office locations, but we'll get hmm. the top four or five. Hmm. Then we can use somebody either part-time or full-time to find out which of those work. So instead of work fours, we do work hmm. task. And hmm. the task often can be done um, uh, through technology. So here's the takeaway. If you in HR hmm. are doing a relatively routine task, benefits hmm. administration, compensation hmm. payroll hmm. it's going to be automated it's going to be automated hmm. it's going to hmm. be automated it's inevitable um hmm. we automate the standard routine tasks because machine learning can help make them happen hmm. Hmm. so at the same time um i want us to look at this before we move on to the next uh, conversation most of the time um HR is being told to uh, become strategic uh, at the expense of, you know, doing the administrative uh, part of it. Should this, the administrative part of HR also be, uh, you know, be, be, be given to, uh, you know, be automated or outsourced as, as, as the case may be? Is that, um, should, 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 should this be adopted? 
let me uh let me share and uh, by the way you are so prepared for this interview you are doing <laughs> such a great job i just commend you uh and um wish i was able to be with you in person or i wish you could join me in my office uh anyway uh so what does hr do to create value i believe and i love to look at history so i can create the future i believe there have been four waves of hr activity one wave of hr activity is uh efficiency functional excellence how or efficiency how do we help our company be more efficient a second wave is functional excellence how do we do best practice in compensation in leadership in training a third wave is strategic how do we link hr to the strategy of my company so when we hire people when we train people when we pay people will they help make strategy happen let's do the first three again efficiency functional excellence strategy i think the fourth wave is outside in or we think that my colleagues and i that's helping hr succeed in the marketplace so mm -hmm. when we do hr work we like to move you up those waves that first wave is the operational efficiency that you talk about um a quick aside and then some recent data and i love data um when people come to our programs at the university of michigan we say why are you attending this two-week program and they say, I want to get better at leadership development. I want to do better at changing a culture. I want to do a better job at performance uh, compensation, total rewards. That's wave two. Functional excellence, best practice. We love to have them put behind their goal the word so that. I want to do better leadership so that we reach our strategy. So that we succeed in the marketplace. I want to do a better job at culture. Most people who look at culture, look at culture inside the company, how we behave, how we act, how we live our values, so that we accomplish our strategy, so that we succeed in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. HR routine work, the administrative work is a necessary condition. Now, with that in mind, we just did a study. Um, it had a lot of data. We have 1,200 companies. You can actually participate in the study uh, by going to a website. But we said, where does HR create the most value for a company? Is it the first wave of efficiency? Is it the second wave of functional excellence or best practice? Is it strategy or is it outside in? When we collected data, I was actually a little disappointed and surprised. The highest value added in most companies today was the first wave. We have to do administrative efficiency well. Hmm. And, and I kept thinking, oh, I thought we did that. Companies are still looking to say HR should be operationally excellent. And my take from that is very simple. If you're in Nigeria and you want to go from town A to town B on a train, if the train track is broken, you're not going to get there. You've mm -hmm. got to make sure the trains run on time. The operational efficiency is a necessary precondition of the other waves. The mm -hmm. other thing we found, and I'm getting more detailed here, mm -hmm. when HR people looked at their measure of success, it was often that first wave, operational efficiency. When mm -hmm. business leaders looked at what do we expect from good HR, mm -hmm. it was wave four, outside in. Hmm. When we explored that, business leaders assume that the train tracks are running. When I, as a, as, a, as, a, as a guest, get on a train, I assume the tracks work. I don't go out and inspect the track. I just assume that it's good. Business hmm. leaders are assuming that we in HR have done the operational excellence well. But what we hmm. found, it cannot yet, we cannot do HR until the tracks work on time. Quick example, a friend of mine became the head of HR at a big company. Hmm. And he said, Dave, where should I focus? Strategy, hmm. outside in, success in the marketplace, or getting hmm. the trains to run on time. And hmm. my answer to him was, Paul, you've got to do strategy, outside in, where we're headed. And he said, hmm. no, I don't agree. I got to make sure the trains run on time before I know where they're headed. Hmm. He was right. Hmm. I think I was wrong. You've, mm. uh, by the way, I'm admitting, I'm trying to learn. You've got mm. to get that efficiency right. And then best practice, strategic HR outside mm. in HR. Mm. If your HR efficiency isn't good, 
Let's mm. get it right. And the beauty of that one, as you said so brilliantly, is we can often do that through technology. technology. Whether you go to SAP, where Workday, uh, Oracle, I don't care where you go, you can get technology to get the trains to run on time. Mm, true. I quite agree with that. But but before we move on, uh, Prof, we still have about two more um, conversations to have. Um, I know employee experience is, um, is a big topic right now. I mean, that you see out there that people talk a lot about. Uh, and I was reading one of Josh Burson's article. I, I know you know Josh. Josh, uh, Josh said that um, employee experience is now a corporate strategy. But you are now saying that the focus should be more on the customer experience as against employee experience. I mean, in, in the research carried out, you said that 10% uh, uh, result in employee experience led to about 5% uh, in customer experience, which in turn led to 2.5% uh, in, in profit. So should focus should should HR people focus less on expo, employee experience uh, and focus more on customer experience, as as you have mentioned? First of all, let me just say I think Josh Burson is brilliant. Josh mm -hmm. has a very good skill around technology. Yes, we invited Josh into a program, and he said there was something I think two thousand new technology apps in the HR space. Josh mm. understands HR technology and digital HR much better than me. Mm. Where mm. I want to go, and, and, and Josh and I agree on his gifts in technology, employee experience without leading to customer experience becomes a moot point. Mm. It's, I, I don't know if you've ever played basketball. Uh, and this example comes to mind. I play basketball. I'm not very good, uh, mm. but I wish I was. Mm. Does waving your arms around create mm. a foul? No, no, there's no foul unless you hit somebody. I mean, I can stand on the court and go like this a lot and, and go like this a lot. There's no foul because there was nobody hit. If employee experience doesn't create value for your customer, why are mm. you doing it? Why are mm. you doing it? And mm. I believe that it's a false question to separate the two. Let me give an example. Uh, about a year, year and a half ago, a group of CEOs called the Business Roundtable, uh, CEOs of big companies around the world, put out a proclamation that got a lot of attention. It said, profits and purpose, profits mm. and people. Mm. Everybody got excited. Wow, mm. people, purpose are part of profit. I made a critique. Mm. I think there was the wrong word in that sentence. Mm. Profits through people. Profits mm. through purpose. Mm. You don't do profit Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and people in purpose Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. You mm. connect the two. So mm. one of my frustrations in the employee experience field is when employee experience became a hot topic a couple of years ago, I read a bunch of books and articles, and I was looking how many of these books and articles connected employee experience to, to strategy. To customer, mm. to investor, to community, almost none. Mm. I think you're creating an event, not a new pattern. If employee experience doesn't link to the better strategy, a better customer, a better investor, a better community, it's going to be a standalone event. I mm. did employee experience. I did an employee survey. I did employee experience. I did a town hall meeting. I did an mm. employee experience. I asked an employee what they felt. Well, if mm. those activities don't lead to strategy, customer, investor, community, then it's not going to succeed. Mm. I believe connecting those two creates a virtuous cycle. Mm. So I believe in employee experience. Mm. I don't know if it's a strategy or an action. I don't care about that. Mm. I do mm. care that employee experience is a lead indicator of customer experience and investor and community. And mm. then when I'm in HR, I go to my business leader and say, would you like to improve patient care at this hospital? Would you like to improve uh, your market valuation? If you're a publicly mm. traded company, would you like your stock price to go up? I just mm. read an incredible study and I'm embarrassed I hadn't read it. It was in, oh, I can't remember, financial journal. And they looked mm. at culture 
And hmm. these are finance people. They are not HR people. And they did a machine learning study of culture. And they found that companies with a stronger set of values had a significant financial increase in profitability uh, measured by Tobin's Q, which is market value and uh, return or ROS, return on sales, which is short term financial value. Hmm. By the way, they had data. Hmm. What was it from 6000 companies? And hmm. it showed when you live your values, the financial results go up. Boy, do I hope we in HR can get that data and begin mm. to see the power of what we bring. Mm. Again, talent, organization, and leadership, my, my typology, my three, mm. so that we succeed in the marketplace. Is mm. employee experience important? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that mm. we succeed in the marketplace, which allows us to build a better employee experience. Mm. Experience. Mm. Mm. Hmm, that that's 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 wonderful. So uh, the focus should not just be on the activities, um, but the focus should be on the you know those um, different stakeholders, the employees, the communities, the organizations, the leaders, and all of that. L let's let's um, let me ask. Let me, let me give let me give one quick example, and I know our time is running. I know okay. you worked in sales. Yes. What do you care about the most if you're tracking a salesperson? Does he or she make more sales calls, more phone calls, or mm. do they get more sales, more revenue? You know well, what? I, I, you got to mm. do both. Mm. But mm. I don't care how many calls you did. Mm. I care, did you make a sale? Sales. It's not the activity <laughs> that counts. You know, mm. like throwing my arms around in basketball. I didn't create a foul till something happened. Mm. The mm. same in sales. It isn't mm. just the making a phone call. Were you able to turn the phone call into a sale? And that's what HR should be about. Mm, mm, mm. So, so the, 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 I mean, we should play less on those activities that we, you know, we do. The, the critical thing is the, is the result that we get at the end of the day. So let, let me ask you, I mean, I don't want this question to pass by um, because it's one area that I have um, been researching over the years. Um, that's performance management. And I have seen that in most organizations, performance management um, does not work. I mean, maybe to, to, uh, due to implementation and the design. But let me ask uh, about um, the, the notion out there, um, and I know that um, you, you probably might have read uh, about the work of David Rock, um, neuro, neuroscience um, in, in leadership in performance management. And it's one of the proponents that um, kill performance ratings and rankings, um, as it were. So what, what would you say about this? Uh, well, first of all, I, I so admire David Rock. Uh, mm. what, what David has brought into the field is the science of neurology. Exactly. And, and, and he talks about scarf, status, certainty, ambiguity, and fairness. Exactly, and, yeah. and I encourage people to read his work. In the performance management space, the debate is not about performance rankings or not. Mm. Here's what I think we've learned in performance management. Traditionally, there are three steps in performance management, and I love to simplify things. Number mm. one, what's expected? Standards, mm. goals. Mm. Number two, how do we know if you met them? What are the measures, behaviors, outcomes, individual team, long-term, mm. short-term? Mm. So what's the expectation? How do you know? And number three, What's the consequence? So mm. standards, behaviors, consequences. Consequences. If you meet a standard, does a good thing happen, financial or non-financial, or a bad thing? Mm. Those are the three steps we usually have. And mm. you debate, should our, should our behaviors, should our measures be rating or ranking, and how do we do it? Here's mm. what we've discovered. Step one, what's expected? What are we trying mm. to accomplish? What's our strategy to product, mm. to customer, customer satisfaction? Step two, how mm. do we know you did that? Your behavior, mm. your outcome, your rating, your ranking. Number three, when you do that, do you get a benefit? Do you have a consequence, positive or negative? Guess what we've discovered? None mm. of that works. Works. Unless, I unless mm. you can have a positive conversation with your employee. Mm. Let mm. me say that again. I like to think of those three things kind of as a diamond. And then in the middle is the mm. conversation. conversation. What does a conversation look like? 
strategy. Where are we going? Do you understand with an employee what our goals are, what our objectives are? Measures. Mm -hmm. Do you know how you are accountable? Consequences. Mm -hmm. Do you know that you control the good and bad that happens to you? Mm -hmm. I believe that the key is to have a good conversation. We were working in a company and it happened to be in the Mideast. I won't name it. It doesn't matter. They had mm -hmm. tried a number of performance management systems. They had tried uh, management by objectives, but behavioral anchored rating scales, bars. Uh, mm -hmm. They tried a nine box. They tried <laughs> a lot of them and they didn't work. None of them seemed to improve performance. They invited us in a number of years ago and said, none of this works. What would you recommend? And my comment was, it's not the system. Exactly. It's the conversation. The conversation. Good. I don't good, care what good. system you've got. Can your leader sit down with an employee yeah. and have a positive conversation? So we, they said, what does that mean? Yeah. I'm going to give you three tips real quick. Mm. You're my leader. You mm. sit down with me to have a conversation. Three mm. tips. Number one, Dave, help me understand. Mm. Boy, that's really useful. Because now you're my coach. You're not my boss. You're not critiquing me. You're saying, help me understand. Mm. Number two, the data. Mm. You've shown up late at work three times in the last week. Mm. Uh, the quality of your products has declined. Uh, your teammates don't like working with you. Here's mm. the data. Number mm. three, to fix the problem. Mm. Help me understand the data to fix the problem. When you can have that conversation, I don't care what HR or what performance system you've got. Mm. Without that conversation, mm. no system will work. With Whoa. that conversation, any system will probably work. Whoa. That's kind mm. of where I come out. So it's not about rating or ranking. Mm. You've got to have the conversation. You've conversation. got to have the conversation. Mm. Mm. That's. I mean, that pretty much confirmed my... Um, my assumptions and the things that I've done in that area. So, Prof, let, let's quickly move on because we have um, limited time. Um, and of course, in, 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 in trying to conclude and uh, round up this conversation today, uh, so you have become an authority in HR. Uh, I mean, when you sent your, your, uh, your vital to me, I was looking at those ranking, looking at everything and all of that. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> this is wonderful. So here is my question. How did you go into HR, number one? And how have you built this career over the years? Even though we know that you are, you are, in, the, uh, you are in the university community. So how did you go into HR? And how have you built this career, this global career? I will, uh, I will answer that, but I'm going to ask you a question first. Uh, <laughs> you've done a lot of interviews with John Cotter. You're going to, by the way, let me say to those listening, Ram Sharan is coming on. I beg of you, I beg of you, listen to Ram Sharan. Exactly. Um, of, all, of all of the honors I've received in the last couple of years, and I don't want to go through those, my highest honor, Ram hmm. asked me to write the foreword on his book. Hmm. So he trusted me enough to endorse publicly his work. I That was the greatest honor I could ever receive. Hmm. Please, please listen to Ram. Yeah. He is so good. I listen to Ram and he teaches hmm. me. Anyway, I hmm. could say more about that. Before I, I do that, before I do that, hmm. Ade Doyen, you've had many of these programs. What hmm. do you hope the listeners get from your discussions? I'm going to ask you a question. What do you hope they get? Then I'll answer your question. But what do you hope your listeners get from these discussions? Value, learning. Value. Yeah, value, learning. I mean, go back to their various organizations and be able to, uh, you know, implement some of the things they are learning here, uh, make their lives better and, and their organization and community, basically. Nice. Mm. By the way, that is such a sweet answer. And thank mm. you for doing not my conversation. I appreciate a great deal, but the conversations with so many. Let me use that as a springboard. I was going to go to law school 40 years ago, uh, actually 45 years ago, long time. And I'd always wanted to go to law school. I took a course in what was called then organizational behavior, OB, organizational behavior. The professor captured my imagination. He, he, he said to me, Dave, 
go read something in uh, literature. Read Beowulf, read Paradise Lost, read Shakespeare. Go to a movie and look hmm. at the organization that shapes how people think and feel and act hmm. and write a paper. Hmm. I have no assignments. Just write me a paper. I wrote for him, I think, 12 10-page papers, one a week, because I was so excited. What a cool idea. I never thought about organizations. At the end of that semester, he called me and he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to law school. And he said, oh, don't go to law school. Come study with me in organizational behavior. And um, so I called my mom and dad and I said, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm going to study OB. OB. And they thought that was obstetrics, being a doctor. And they said, OK, our son will be a doctor. And I said, no, it's organizational behavior. And my parents said, what's that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I love looking at organizations. By the way, I got that bug 40 years ago. I still have it. My yeah. wife, who's a psychologist, I showed you a picture. She has her PhD mm. in psychology. She says I have OCD, mm. obsessive compulsive disorder. But that's not mine. Mine is organization compulsive disorder. <laughs> every time I, almost every time I go to lunch with a friend, I uh, I was at lunch yesterday with a, with a friend, um, a couple, and I felt like saying to the manager, could you come here and I can show you how to improve your productivity 5%. Let me improve how you run your organization. By the way, most people don't want to go to lunch with me. They don't want to go to a church service with me because I always tell the pastor how they can be better. I like organizations. And my advice to those entering a field Find something that captures not just your intellectual curiosity, but your mm. heart. Mm. I love your answer. I mm. shared my answer. What are my core values? Learning that creates value for others. Mm. And for me, the space is organization. Can mm. I find an organization? And so I've written books. I've written articles. I've done some speaking and consulting all around. How do I better learn? The recent book we did, Reinventing the Organization, is what's happening mm. in China? Mm. What does Alibaba, what is Tencent, what is Hire, what does Huawei do? That gives mm. them an organization that helps them be so successful. Mm. So mm. we studied it. What mm. do HR professionals need to know? What are their competencies? So we studied it. Mm. And, and that's what my passion is. And my, my counsel to those entering a career, find mm. that combination of intellectual curiosity and emotional passion. Hmm. It could be finance. It hmm. could be technology. Not For like me, it. it's organization. It's organization. Wow, that's that's great. So on a final note, uh, what advice would you like to give to uh, business leaders, executives generally? Because um, they have a, a part to play in all this in yeah. all this conversation. Yes. You know, one of the great lessons that's driven my thinking for decades is values defined by the receiver more than the giver. When I give my wife a gift, she mm -hmm. defines the value of the gift. Mm -hmm. Business leader, what you do matters less than how others respond to what you do. Mm -hmm. So as a business leader or an HR leader, it's not the activity that you do. It's what others receive because of that activity. Mm -hmm. Think through that outcome. What's the value I'm trying to create for someone else? Mm -hmm. And I think if we get that value from the outside in, we're likely to be more successful. I coached a business leader, head of finance, big company. And I collected data from a whole bunch of people. And I went back and I said, one of the pieces of feedback is you don't listen very well. And he interrupted me. <laughs> and he said, I listen fine. And I said, you're not listening to me now. I said, what does listening mean? And by the way, he's got 20 IQ points. He's so much smarter than me. He said, listening means that I understand what you're telling me. So when somebody comes to meet with me, I know who they are. I know the context. And 20 to 30% of the way into the conversation, I start looking at my text. I start listening uh, and doing other things because I know what they're going to say. And I looked at him with a little smile and I said, you're wrong. Listening is not that you understand. It's that the other person feels understood. Hmm. And he said, I don't understand. And I said, I know. That's why I'm coaching you. <laughs> Listening is not that you understand. It's that the other person feels understood. Values defined by the receiver, not the giver. 
-hmm. business leaders, what are people receiving because of what it is we do? I beg of you, if you can think that through, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, I just got a new job. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to become a consultant. My comment is, aren't your students going to be lucky? Because the success of a teacher is not that you teach. It's that the students are blessed to have you as their teacher. And so always think about the next step. What's the value you're creating for someone else? Again, thank you. I've just really enjoyed this discussion. The time has gone quickly for me. Exactly. I hope it's been helpful for you. Thank you. I've got notes from your comments, so uh, thank you. I've made my page. I got your name down right there. <laughs> I've got. I've, uh, made, I've got. Uh, I've made my own here too. Thank you so much, Prof. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. So I'll send you a mail later. Thank you so 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 much. Thank you so much. This is the end of the conversation. Then we can keep the conversation ongoing. Thank you so much, Prof. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for listening to the Performance Truths Podcast with your learning and performance accelerator doing a debio. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and truths you can use to help grow your career. For more enlightenment, you can visit the website www.doingadebio.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you will not miss a show. Kindly leave a rating and review. Above all, if you find value in this show, please share with your network. This will be all for this episode. Thank you. Walk through life. Every day is a new beginning. Shine your light. It's your day and the world.